0: Hello and welcome to Evergreen Church Sermon Podcasts. Tune in every week for our sermon series. We continue the sermon series about prayer with Season 2, Episode 4, Great Prayers in the Bible. Apostle Paul. Welcome, welcome to God's house today. It is so good for us to be here. Uh, Just a a couple things, Um, I'm going to start with a a scripture uh, reading like I uh, like to do and start from Psalm 138. It says, I give thanks. Uh, you fix me on it because I'm echoing real bad. I give thanks, uh, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple, and we give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered. My strength of soul, you increased. I just pray that God would be and the Holy Spirit would be uh, strengthening your uh, your soul and um, and mind today as well as we come before Him. Um, that we would have an encounter with the living and the true God. Well, in looking at uh, a prayer, I'm actually going to be looking at two prayers today. Um, they're prayed by the same person, and it's the Apostle Paul. And it's in the letter that he wrote um, and, uh, to, the, to the Ephesians. And I think it actually, it sounds like to me, it is two parts of the same prayer. Because he starts uh, Ephesians with, with one thing, and then he finishes one section. And then when he finishes, he, he says, Amen. So I think that they bookend this, and so we're gonna look at both parts of it because they stand together, and I think we make a huge mistake if we don't um, look at both things that Paul is praying about here. So let's bow together. Holy Spirit. The prayers are recorded in Ephesians chapter one and Ephesians chapter three that Paul was praying for the church at Ephesus is also a prayer that is for us as well. Uh, Thank you that these are not just words on a a page, but they are holy and alive, and they change and they transform. And um, we need to hear, and we need to uh, incorporate uh, these into our lives. And Holy Spirit, the only only way we can do that is as you um, bring them in to change us. so we just uh, pray that you would do that today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, here's the first part. First Corinthians chapter one, begin with verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Have in the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is uh, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working Of his great might. And I'm going to pick it up in chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all through all generations forever and ever, Amen. We there are sometimes I don't, I don't know if they're competing uh, parts of us or ways that we do things. Uh, but I think of them as two sides of a coin. I should have had a coin with me today, but I emptied the coins out before Sunday so I don't jingle as I walk. Um, um, Churches and people who follow Christ can have... Let me tell you what these two things are. There's two components to life in Christ. One is knowledge and the other one is, I should say, knowledge-based, and the other one is experiential-based, experience-based. And churches, whether it is a denomination or whether it's individual churches, often gravitate more toward one or the other. And what we need is is to have both of them, like literally, the opposite sides of the same coin. In the Presbyterian world, um, I'm probably not the most of the intellectual of Presbyterians that, that you would find, um, but the Presbyterians have always stood on the importance of, of training pastors and people in the pew, the knowledge side of things in fact during the first grade, second great awakening which was here in the united states it, it really um, hindered the spread of the, the of our of, of the presbyterian family of churches because a lot of that spread happened in the in the appalachian mountains and as people were coming to faith there there weren't pastors and the Methodists started having circuit-riding pastors where one person would pastor 10 or 15 churches. So you'd only make it to a church maybe once every two or three or four months. And, that, and there were these people that had presbyterian backgrounds that cried out and said, send us pastors in the national uh, office at that time, which was in Philadelphia, uh, said, okay, well we'll be glad to send them, but first you need to send us people that are, are already strong in faith, I'm not joking, this is an 18 They need to have graduated the equivalent of high school and they've had to have gone to college. And then we will have seminary training. It'll take three years, and then we'll give you a pastor. I kid you not. That's why in that part of the world, there's a jillion Methodist churches, and there's very few Presbyterian churches, because the Presbyterians were so focused on the intellectual. That they didn't see both sides of the coin, and so there's the 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 Cumberland Presbyterian Church, which was very small, started because of that. Because this is what they said to Philadelphia: "We're going to start our own denomination, Presbyterian denomination, and we'll have our own pastors. We'll raise them up in our congregations. We'll train them in our congregations, so we can have a, a pastor today." And that's what they did. But but the Cumberland Presbyterian Church is a real small denomination. But still, to to become a a pastor in our denomination, it does take a seminary degree or the equivalent training, and that's important. I, I want to make sure we realize that is important because this is the most important book, and it takes and, and there's training, and you learn the 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 Greek of the New Testament, the Hebrew of the Old Testament, and 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 how to how to uh, do exegesis, and, uh, which is how you look and see what it means, and then how do you, how do you bring it forward to today. And so, so training is very important. Don't get me wrong on that. We need to have that knowledge base. And while sometimes Presbyterian churches tend to, to have less to do with the experiential side, the other air is on the other side where there's so much that is all experience-based, and, and the knowledge base is, is not there. It's just not there. It's amazing the things that sometimes you, I hear people say, and they're, they're, they're very well meaning and, and they love Jesus, but, but they're so much on the experience that they got no clue what this says. Oh, well, they, they know a couple of the verses and the things like that, but like I was in a place one time and I was having a conversation with another pastor, and then someone said, Well, whatever it was, they said they're there, and they said something that was absolutely not biblical. But, but it was there, my experience is this, and so it's got to be this. Well, I'm sorry, we have experiences that are not right. We have experiences that oftentimes are informed by our human side rather than, than by God. And so, so we got to be really careful when we are basing all of our, our beliefs and stuff like that on an experience base without having the knowledge base that are linking it up to Scripture. So we make sure that the experience is firmly grounded in the Word and stuff like that. So we need to have both of those. And in the first part, in the first part of the prayer, Paul is going to talk about the knowledge base. That, that you as the church at Ephesus and you as the church of Grand Washington need to have this knowledge base, and he's going to just hit on it just briefly, and then he's going to move at the end, and it's going to be the experience base that's led and shaped by the Holy Spirit. So I want us to just take a look at this. So what is the... Um, I'm running, I, I've, I've tried to shorten it, because I know we're running and things are with time I see here. So here's the knowledge stuff. I mean, here's a quote. The genuine knowledge of God's request in 117 of Ephesians is grounded in a life of faith and love that is produced by the Holy Spirit. So the knowledge of what? There were three things. The knowledge of the hope God's calling brings the hope of God's calling on your life that it brings now, how do we learn what is the hope that we have in Christ it's right here we can we can look from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22 and we can see God's saving move all the way throughout history and the hope that that brings us for not only all eternity, but also for today. And that as followers of Jesus, we have to know that that hope is there. And and this is not just a, a oh, Pollyanna kind of hope. Oh, yeah, I can hope this. But no, it's, it's based on the knowledge that God has been faithful all throughout Scripture. That's why I'm such a huge proponent of reading the Bible all the way through. I try to do it at least every other year. Sometimes I'll go four years out of five. And that's because I need the context of the whole volume of Scripture to see God's move all the way through there. And and every time I see new things, but it reminds me, God has been faithful back then and the hope I have for today and for all eternity, He's going to be there and He's going to be faithful. And we need that. But again, so often, people don't have that knowledge base because they have not spent the time studying Scripture to see what Scripture says. The second knowledge thing that was there is, I love this, the wealth of glory laid up in his inheritance in the saints. By the way, Paul uses some big words, and uh, the wealth of the glory laid up in his inheritance in the saints. Let me see if I can tear this apart. A will has been written by Jesus, and you are named in it, and I am named in it. And there is an inheritance that's there, and that reading of that will is going to happen at the end, and there's an inheritance that you are going to receive, that I'm going to receive if we are in Christ. And that is good to know. In Proverbs this week, if you're going through the, the, the daily, um, through, through the Bible in a year, it was talking about um, you know, a, a good father lays up an inheritance for a second and third generation. In other words, you're, you're passing something on to the next generation. And Jesus is giving us an inheritance, and we can experience that inheritance in part now because Jesus died. The will has been read, but the will is read in light of Easter Sunday. And so you can experience part of the inheritance of God today. Now, I'm not talking about money or, or anything like that, but, but there are things that he is giving you and he's giving me as a part of an inheritance today to be used in, in our, our life, in our ministry, in our relationship with him. And so you have been written in the will of the Son of God and, and he has given you stuff. And you're going to say, well, what stuff is that? Well, that's a good question. Gifts, talents. Uh, you can go on and on. Again, reading in Exodus, um, it, it named out two guys in specific. I can never remember their names. Two guys made most of the things that went in the, inside of the tabernacle. They will be remembered for all eternity. And it says that they were gifted by God to be able to do that. And then there were those, there was another guy, he was the seamstress that put together all of the curtains that went around it. And it talked about bringing together all the people who were gifted by God as a part of his inheritance to be able to do that kind of thing. And God is doing the same thing with you and with me because we have inherited things that he has given us for us to use for him in the here and now and as well as for, for all eternity. And then the final thing there in the knowledge that that Paul wanted us to know was the immensity of God's power. The immensity of God's power. Sometimes we forget, I'm going to blink here, that God could create a whole other galaxy that quickly. That if you read about the, the tablets that the, the, the Ten Commandments and stuff were written on. How does it say that they were written by the little finger of God? The little finger of God was so great that he could go tu- 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 tu on the stones and give, it the, give the words that were there. The little finger of God is what the Hebrew says. God is so powerful, and we forget that. I forget that. So often we functioned in our own power, but we forget the immense power of God. The funny thing is, the early church, I mean, that the first ones, they had seen Jesus do wonderful miracles. But I, when I, I read about Philip, I just wonder. So here's Philip. He's, he's not one of the inner four. And, and what happens? All of a sudden, God says, Philip... I need you over here. And all of a sudden, Philip is, is run alongside a, a chariot and is going to share with a guy who is, and, and he is the first person that we see baptized, an um, individual that's, that's there, and, and, and Philip baptizes him. And then God needs him someplace else, and it says, and now Philip was this way. He didn't walk there. He was open to a powerful God who just said, Philip, I need you an ording. And Philip's standing in an ording. We forget that the God we serve is powerful enough to do all of that. And so what Paul was praying for the Ephesian church is that they would just have a little bit of knowledge of how powerful God is, so that they would be open to all that God could do in and through them because of his great power. So that's in the first part in chapter 1. In the second part in chapter 3, it is it, 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 that we are supposed to be things, and we are the, the, to be them, and that the Holy Spirit is the one that causes them to happen in our lives. It's things that the Holy Spirit is going to be doing. And it says that, we, to, to be, that we'd be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. I thought that was interesting, that Paul wants you to be strengthened in the power of Christ in the inner person. Not that you can go out and do super things like that, but on the inside to have strength in here, in here. You know, there. just watch the news. I don't care what channel you watch on, how you are reading. And the place where people don't have strength is in here. And because they don't have strength in here, it, it impacts everything out there. And the thing is, is there's so many Christians that don't have strength in here. Now, I don't share a tenth, maybe even a hundredth of the stuff that's on the, in the national church news kind of stuff in terms of, of just failures and stuff like that because so many people that are Christians do not have strength. God's power given strength to the inner person. We function in our own power rather than in Christ's power. And Paul's praying that you and I would be strengthened with power through his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that we would be strong in the inner person. The second thing was that he was praying that you and I would be rooted and grounded in love. Why would why would it be rooted and grounded in love? Sometimes when a person is is feeling um, strong in and of themselves and we we kind of if we're not careful, we don't come across loving. I think one of the big things that really um, uh, hinders the the work of God through us in other people's lives is that as Christians, sometimes we can appear to be very unloving. Um, it's It's okay to believe strongly um, that something is a sin. Absolutely. But here's the thing. So often we speak strongly about something else, but then we turn right around and, but that's not my sin, so I'm going to talk strongly about that. We don't come across as loving. And um, I see the woman caught in the midst of adultery, and Jesus did not go soft on her. But what he said was, those of you without sin, cast the first stone. And all the men walked away. And then Jesus said, I'm not going to stone you either, but don't sin anymore. Go and don't sin anymore. He showed love. The Samaritan woman, when Jesus was walking through Samaria with his disciples, and that he even spoke to a Samaritan woman, which no one would have did. Culturally, that would have been very inappropriate. Um, not only did she come to faith, but it says that her, many in her community came to faith. Why? Because Jesus spoke lovingly. He could have, he could have spoke down about her. Yeah, I mean, yes, he said, "You don't have a husband. You've already had four or five, and you're now living with a guy that's not your husband." He didn't go, "Shame on you for doing that." I mean, he knew that what she did was wrong. Her response was, "Here's a guy who told me everything that I did." and honored me and cared for me. And so what Paul's praying is that we would be rooted and grounded in love, and the things that we do would be rooted and grounded in love. Our world needs us to be rooted and grounded in Christ's love. And then finally, the third thing that we need to be is we need to be empowered empowered, interesting word, to grasp with all the saints, or the saints, the people of Jesus or the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Christ's love. Now, why would it say that we have to be able to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to grasp that? I think it's because our mind has a hard time with that. How could God love that person? Or you can put it wherever you want. God's love is so great for us. We need to see that picture of how big it is and then just be in awe and say, that's how much he loves me. Wow. But then that's how much he loves that person too. And that changes the way that I then deal with that person, and you deal with that person, because we've seen how great God's love is. I remember one time, it was, it was after Ted Bundy was killed. For what he did, he deserved, you know, earthly, he deserved to be killed. I'm not here to talk about the death sentence or anything like that, because if anybody ever needed it, he needed it. Um, Dobson uh, met many, many times with Bundy before he was, before he was killed, and he said he really had a profound experience with Jesus before he died. And I remember reading someone say, if he's, going to be in, if he's going to be in heaven, then I don't want to be there. That is a picture of not understanding the profound love that God has for people. That even the most vile person um, in this world well, in this case, it would be probably the state of Washington. Um, um, now that's, God will be the one that knows whether he had that conversion experience or not. But if he had that conversion experience, of course he would be in heaven because every sin is great in God's eyes. Your little sin, my little sin, there's no such thing as a little sin. Jesus said, if you said raka, which is empty, you called your brother uh, an empty-headed fool, you deserve to be killed. We forget, we need to know, and we forget how much the height and depth and breadth of God's love for us is. And when we do, it changes the way that we see other people. And we need the Holy Spirit to do us. And I think the reason why Paul was saying this to the Ephesian church is that if we're changed in our inner person then we're strengthened there so we're strong there and that then enables us to be rooted and grounded in the love of god and then as we see how big that love of god is it changes who we are and what we do and how we deal with people i hate to say it that the followers of jesus oftentimes do not have they're not viewed good in the eyes of the general public. Did you know that biblically, one of, the, one of the calls, one of the requirements to be an elder in the church is that you have to have good standing by outsiders in the community? That you have to have good standing in the eyes of people who don't know Jesus that live out in the community. You know, I look at a lot of the national pastors that I see out there, and I don't think that they qualify biblically to be an elder. Because I don't think they have good standing in the eyes of the unchurched. And I know at times I don't deserve to be an elder and don't fit the qualifications because I don't have good standing in the eyes of people that don't know Jesus. And I wonder about you. The only way we can do that is if we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to have that strength of inner, in the inner person that we are firmly rooted and grounded in love and that when we know and experience how great that love of God is. It changes everything. Until that happens to us, until it happens to our church and every church here, we will have zero impact in the community around us. And that's why Paul was telling the church at Ephesus, this is what you need to know, and this is what you need to experience. And if you do that, it will make a difference. And you know something? That church at Ephesus planted churches in the greater community all around them in that part of Turkey. And they changed They changed that part of Turkey, the church at Ephesus did. And God can do the same thing with us. So join with me as we pray and ask God to do these things in our lives today. Father, we need the knowledge of the hope that your calling brings for us. we need to know the wealth of the glory laid up in your inheritance for us. And we need to know the immense power that you have. And as we learn all of those things from Scripture, as we see the whole volume of Scripture, then we need your Spirit to bring within us a strength at the core of our being, as we live for you, that you would root us and ground us in love, and that the only way that would happen is we experience how great your love really is. Lord, I pray this, seems, this is one of the most loving churches I've ever seen, but we still need we still need growth and help. And as I look and see other churches, and especially ones that are the big name ones and stuff like that, Lord, I pray for them. I pray for them. Lord, I pray that you would use us as people like the church at Ephesus to change the course of this region because as your followers... We know the things we need to know, and we've experienced the things we need to experience so that we can be used by you. Open our hearts to see the possibility, to see our need, and to see the need throughout the rest of the community and the world. In this we pray, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hey, have a great week, serving the Lord. Next week we will continue with our sermon series on great prayers in the Bible. Thank you for joining us today.